started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Marcus, welcome welcome back to South Coast tonight. Uh, Chris will be back tomorrow, but we've got a full slate of guests, like I said before, and we're joined now by Armin Thomas of Split Ticket. Hey, Armin. Hey, Marcus. How you doing? Good. So before we get started, um, why don't you tell us what Split Ticket is and some of the work that you guys do? Yeah, sure. So uh, I work at Split Ticket. We're an election forecasting site. We basically try to put a uh, qualitative and quantitative, you know, uh, looking at um, data as well as non-numerical indicators to see how elections are going. And, you know, we're really just trying to make sense of what is going on in politics because, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen right now. And so we're just, you know, trying to put paper and what's going to happen. And so we've been doing that for a year now and we've, you know, grown the uh we've grown the site we've grown uh our uh, presence to the point where uh we're now here on <laughs> on the radio talking to you guys about it right. um but we're doing it in a, in a little bit more accessible than say somebody you know a site like 538 which you know we are what they were you know at one point but you know we're still uh you know men of the people in terms of our accessibility and our reach so What's what's um what 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 happened to five thirty eight like in terms of their uh, their winnowing uh, accessibility? Well, they just got bigger, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do great work, but there's uh, there's something about you know still being in that small enough stage where you know you really have to hustle. Right. Um, and you know, I, I love the guys at five thirty eight. I know many of them. You know, I, I they do really great work, but you know. Our, our way of operating is a little bit different from theirs and there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, you know, we're, and we're also not doing it for profit. You know, we're just doing this because we want to inform the public and we want to do it for fun because this is what we're interested in. Just, you know, purely from a social science and electoral perspective. So, uh, I want to like, we're always talking about more local stuff here, but I, I do want to zoom out to the, to the midterms. Um, I've been sort of just, I've been expecting, uh, I guess, and I saw this on 538, I've been expecting the Democrats to lose the House, but maybe pick up one in the Senate, but I'm still not, now I'm not sure, as as it gets closer, I'm not, I don't think I'm as confident, and this is purely just a guy talking about stuff without any sort of data or science or anything like that, so what do you think right now, if Election Day were to be tomorrow, what do you think, what do you think would happen? So I think we're basically guaranteed 
to not see the House stay in Democratic control. Okay. Um, the, the margin is very razor thin already for the Democrats. Um, and, you know, it only takes a couple of seats to flip. And right now, the Democrats are the party in power. Biden is not that popular. You know, gas prices aren't that uh, low, you know, especially yeah. compared to what they were in 2020. Um, and, you know, independents and, you know, even, you know, softer Democratic voters, you know, they're really feeling the pain at the pump and the pain at the supermarket. And so that's why you're seeing these leads in the generic ballot for the GOP. Um, and, you know, at Split Ticket, we think that it's, uh, it's less of a lead than some of the other polls just have. Uh, in terms of uh, our generic ballot ag- aggregator that we've been make, uh, uh, making and, and keeping up. But we still expect the vast majority of undecided voters to break for the GOP. Okay. Uh, so that's, that covers the House. Now, on the Senate, um, because it's not as much of a referendum on which party you want to control, you know, uh, government in the same way that the House is. I mean, it is, but the, the calculus is a little bit different because... You know, it's more of a state-by-state variability uh, mm-hmm. that is infused into each race. You know, you have candidate-quality deltas and idiosyncrasies that don't always show up, uh, uniformly speaking. So, um, you know, the big five Senate races that people are watching is uh, Nevada. Um, I think Catherine Cortez Masto is probably going to lose. I think so, on- to Adam, to Adam Laxalt, the Attorney General of Nevada, for people who don't know. So I think so. Uh, And the reason is that um, Nevada is a state where the economy was really, really, you know, royally wrecked by COVID. um, And they're still coming out of that. And there's just a lot of discontent with the Democrats that have been running things there. Now, granted, Catherine Cortez Masto is federal and not state. So uh, that'll hurt Governor Sisolak more. But um, when you look at it demographically, Nevada is not a, a state with a lot of uh, educated, uh, college-educated people. And that disproportionately hurts the Democratic Party going, going uh, long-term because of the way that political coalitions are now orienting around uh, how you respond to issues, which is increasingly correlated with having a bachelor's degree or not. And okay. in Nevada, most, a lot of people really don't, especially compared to a state that you know, Democrats usually win. Okay. Um, and so you have a lot of working class whites, but also a lot of working class Hispanics, too. And so in a year like 2022, that demographic cocktail is going to be, you know, it could be a powder keg. OK. And so, uh, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they had a Republican senator there. Was it Dean Heller? Um, I think. Well, and that's the other thing that people forget, too, is that the way that, you know, kind of a lot of people who are analyzing elections um fail to see is that, you know, uncertainty is a lot uh, broader than you think. Um, You know, with respect to Republicans in Nevada, you know, they had a Republican governor as recently as 2014. It was was rumored to be Trump's Supreme Court pick at one point. I forget his name, but I remember that. Oh, Brian Sandoval. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, But Sandoval was a very moderate Republican governor. Adam Laxalt is a bit different. But the point is that, I mean, it's a close state. And it's not one that's ever really been especially blue, even in the heyday of Harry Reid and his right. you know, famous machine. Um, the, same is, the same is true when you see, um, for Senate races, you know, you see things like um, Democrats in, say, Wisconsin. You know, we don't think Mandela Barnes is going to win. No. But the, um, 
the idea that he's basically dead on arrival, you know, as, as many people would say, I would contest that. Okay. Um, but, you know... Well, they, they've yeah. got a governor's race there with Tony Evers. He's running for re-election. Uh, I, I mean, there's... There's is that going to break one way or the other, or is it going to be Ron Johnson? Is a Ron Johnson win and a Tony Evers win possible? So it is. Um, I think that there's definitely a lot of people who are going to split their tickets um, between Johnson for Senate and Evers for governor. Exactly how much that is remains to be seen. Um, I mean, especially given that Wisconsin is a fairly elastic state. Yeah. And we're seeing that, you know, based on the Marquette poll, which uh, nailed the Wisconsin result pretty close back in 2020, um, you're seeing that Johnson is winning independence. I mean, he's doing very well with independence. And Evers has a very slight lead, too. Okay. So, um, so I think it's not out of the question. Um, yeah. You know, I, I run the governor's ratings for split ticket, and Wisconsin is by far the least certain for what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is Healy the most certain? <laughs> um, well, there's a governor election in like Hawaii, right? So I okay. think it's probably that. Okay. Uh, but Healy is definitely up there. I mean, I could talk at length about the demise of the Massachusetts GOP, but suffice to say, you know, I'm 23. For 15 of the 23 years that I've walked this earth, uh, we've had a Republican governor here in Massachusetts. Right. Um, and that I don't really think is going to happen for much longer because, no. I mean, all of the old Republican governors were basically protégés of Bill Weld, who right. was governor from 1990 to 1996, is 1997. Uh, you had, uh, what was his face, Paul Salucci, Ned Jane Swift, you had Mitt Romney, and now you're Charlie Baker. Right. Um, but Baker's guys, they tried to take over the state party. It didn't work. Um and so now he's kind of, you know, in the wilderness, politically speaking. He can't really run for federal office because he knows he wouldn't win. Um, you, and so wait, wait, I wanna, wait, hold on. What if he – this is the scenario I, I've dreamed up in my head. What if he ran for Senate? What if he ran for, like, as an independent? We do have Angus King and Bernie Sanders here, uh, independents. What if he ran as an independent for Senate against Markey or Warren? Do, do you think it would be, like, you know, he would so be DOA? I, I've, thought about, I, I've thought about this, actually, a lot. So the one thing that you have to differentiate uh, Vermont and Maine from Massachusetts is, is that, you know, we all bucketed as New England. But within New England, Vermont and Maine are very, very... Uh, one, they're very rural states. Two, they're very insular states. There's not a lot of people, uh, you know, yeah. the, the turnover in, in the electorate is not as high as it is in Massachusetts. Sure. You know, arguably why Joe Kennedy, you know, you know, he represented your area where you are right now. Yes. He didn't have as much of a chance as he would have, say, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago because the electorate in Massachusetts is just more college educated yeah. and filled with more you know, generic liberals who don't have the same loyalties to the Kennedy dynasty that, you know, the older voters did. Now, if Baker ran as an independent, one, that would do much to basically shed a lot of the uh, uneasiness that, you know, Democrats would have about him if yeah. he was running. I think Warren would be a much easier target than uh, Ed Markey. I agree. Um, uh, I mean, you know, heck, you know, it depends if uh, she even wins Bristol County in 2024 based on how she did in, in 2018 against a deal who had really no money. And in 2020, um, too, in the presidential election. 
the presidential primary. Oh, the primary? She, well, she lost the state, yeah. She, yeah, I but mean, she, she in New Bedford, I think she came in fourth. I think she came behind Bloomberg, even. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, there's something to be said about, um, and, and I, I tell this to people a lot, that, you know, a lot of people think of Massachusetts as just Cambridge and Boston and Arlington and Lexington, but the median voter in Massachusetts is not, you know, you know, the caricature of a latte swilling yeah. studies major from Harvard, you know, lives in Cambridge. Right. Um, you know, at the same time, it's not, you know, uh, you know, Jezil Correa or anybody yeah. uh, in Fall River. But, you know, it's it's your average, you know, fairly ideologically a political but culturally moderate ish, uh, but OK with liberalism suburban voter and warren you know something about her whether it's the a sexism factor or something else a, a warren it does not endear herself well to those yeah. voters in the same way that ed markey does i agree um so charlie baker would definitely have a path there i think it really honestly depends on the environment i i think just the fact that massachusetts is you know got six million people means that Baker's going to come up a bit short in a federal race statewide. You know, if he was um, just because federal partisanship is a really, really hard thing to overcome. Yeah. Um, right. And, uh, you know, in Vermont, if it was Phil Scott, who one is more liberal than Charlie Baker on a number of issues, but two, um, you know, is running in a more insular state where that kind of name brand is arguably stronger. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he would have a legitimate uh, shot of winning a, a federal election as an independent there. Um, also, because he only has to win over, say, 50,000 voters. Right. In Massachusetts, yeah. Baker would have to win 10 times that amount. Yeah, it's Which, true. you know, given the state of the GOP organization in Massachusetts, you know, statistically speaking, is not going to happen. So right. uh, I, I do think that in November 2021, when, you know... Uh, Basically, the the extra men hit the fan, uh, to, to speak politely, uh, for the Democrats. Uh, he could have made it to about a 10-point loss, which, I mean, would really, really be something uh, extraordinary for, for a non-Democrat in Massachusetts. Right. But uh, it, would, it would still be an extremely tough list. For, uh, for a Baker type to win statewide office so in Massachusetts. Let's go back to um, uh, the the more national uh, the other the Senate races that are that are real. Um, it was nice to imagine that, but uh, it just it, you know because the problem is the reason I I dream that scenario up in my head is because I'm like dying for a statewide race to be interesting here, and it's not unfortunately. Um, but, but, but in uh, I get that. But in in uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, that that's the one I'm I'm like really interested in. You have John Fetterman, uh, Doctor Oz. Uh, what what do you think is going to happen? It seems like it seemed like Fetterman had, and you you know this better than me, but it seemed like Fetterman had a pretty good lead, and then it sort of dissipated uh, like over the last couple so, of weeks. So Fetterman's lead hasn't actually changed all that much. What's happened is that uh, Oz's favorables have gotten a little bit better for him. So the, the lead was really just Oz being more unpopular than the Yankees are in Fenway Park. Right. Um, and he's consolidated a lot of that. And Fetterman's approvals have gone down a, like a decent bit, but his vote share really hasn't. Okay. Um, and so what you're seeing is, you know, because realistically speaking, a federal election for Pennsylvania, which is an evenly divided state, 
is not going to be a D plus 10 or a D plus 12 like some of those earlier polls in June or July or August said. Yeah. Um, and so Oz has just kind of consolidated that into, you know, what's a real dead heat race now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, based on the momentum, you know, there, there's a really good outside shot for Oz to win. Um, okay. But, you know, we'll have to see how the, the next couple of days go because, you know, the spending – and the polling, you know, especially this late in the game, can really influence a lot of things. Uh, the early vote data looks decent for Democrats, but you know, you don't want to you don't want to extrapolate on early vote alone unless you're John Ralston in Nevada. So, well, so the thing is, is what I'm wondering if this matters. But like, you got the governor's race in Pennsylvania. So for people who don't know, Fetterman's lieutenant governor of, of Pennsylvania, right? And he was the mayor of a small town uh, uh, of, called Braddock that had like three people in it. But um, Josh Shapiro is the sitting attorney general. He's going to be the next governor. They nominated uh, the they nominated a guy um, uh, this this like uh, QAnon lunatic named Doug Mastriano, who basically you know I think committed to sending shadow electors to elect uh, Trump as president next go around if he's elected governor. Does that break Fetterman's way as well? Having that sort of disparity up in the the top of the ticket in Pennsylvania. So. If they, if Oz and Mastriano were joined at the hip, it might have. But the Pennsylvania GOP, you know, they kind of whiffed on nominating Doug Mastriano, but they're not that stupid, okay. um, right? So they basically have allowed Oz to kind of just run his own campaign. Okay. And, I mean, also, like, let's be real here. Like, you yourself said Doug Mastriano is like a QAnon lunatic who believes in all these far-right things. Do you really think in your logical uh, mind that he's going to go around campaigning with a Turkish guy named Mehmet Oz, <laughs> who up until like a week ago was a liberal? That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I, I mean, like, Mastriano is going to get a ton of rural turnout. Yeah. But... I mean, suburban Pennsylvania hates the guy because they rightfully know that, you know, he's super extreme on a lot of things. Um, with Oz, he's done a good job of moderating his image, especially because, um, you know, all the bits about how he was from New Jersey or how he made crudite or whatever the heck that was. Um, yeah. You know, he murdered puppies for, for a job. Oh, well, he did that for well, a living. That, <laughs> Well, that too, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's thrown at him. Um, but Fetterman hasn't really been able to respond to all the crime attacks, which, um, you know, arguably are more potent because all yeah. his favorables still aren't great. Right. But he's basically doing the strategy of, you know, if I'm going to be in the gutter, I'm going to drag you down to the gutter with me. And yeah. then we'll fight it one-to-one -one on more even turf that way. And so far, it seems to have, you know, helped to close the gap for Oz's favorite. So, so, um, so, uh, so you, but do you think like, are, who, who's going to win gun to your head? Honestly, I mean, honestly, I think Oz. Wow. And it pains, it pains me to say that, that sucks, as someone man. voted for democratic candidates, but I think Oz. That sucks. Um, okay. So you, the way you're, the way the way it's looking, we've gone race by race. It looks like you think the Republicans are going to pick up the Senate because if they lose Nevada and they lose Pennsylvania, there's no there's no other path, right? Yeah. 
Wow. Pretty much. Wow. I mean, unless unless uh, J.D. Vance, you know, does something that's so heinous that, you know, partisanship finally just breaks in Ohio. I can't believe – Ohio is like the most electorally – one of the most important states in the, in the country. Um, it was. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, good point. Um, and they have like the two most like like unlikable, boring candidates that I think you could have come up with with Tim Ryan and uh, and, and JD Vance. But uh, so so JD Vance is high. yeah he's obviously going to win that race. Uh, what other uh, what oh Georgia Herschel Walker? Yeah, so I mean, I think that with Herschel Walker, um, it's it's the GOP really loves nominating these high risk, high reward candidates. Um, and Herschel Walker is one. Uh, Dr. Ross is another. Um, and I mean, so, I mean, it's not so much, I mean, Dr. Ross is a, is an average ish candidate with basically finding out, but it's more so that Fetterman's momentum has just basically imploded over the past month and he can't really tweet his way out of the, you know, kind of the situation he's in. But with Georgia, um, Warnock is a good candidate, but he's, he, He's in a he's running in a Georgia that Biden won by twelve thousand votes, on the back of historically strong Democratic support with college educated whites yeah. in the post nineteen sixty four era in the state of Georgia, um, and you know the question is can he maintain that? Um, Warnock specifically, you know, has the capacity and the strength to not suffer the same problems with black voters that Stacey Abrams is going to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the big question there is, uh, can he get the college-educated white support that he got in 2021 in the runoffs and get that again? Right. Because Stacey Abrams got the black turnout she needed, but, you know, she lost because the white people in Georgia were not on her side. And, you know, in a, it's the South, right? It's basically... I mean, okay, it's not as bad as Mississippi, yeah. where the races and parties are perfectly aligned, but, you know, it's still not great, you know, in terms of building a multiracial coalition. So it's basically just, you know, how many white people can you get on your side in the state? And in Georgia, that number is typically around one-third, give or take. Okay. Um, so we'll have to see exactly how that shakes out. Um I mean, I think he can do it. I think the likeliest scenario is that it goes to a runoff. Um, yeah, yeah. In which, you know, I, I don't think... Like it did last year or two years ago, basically. Yeah, except, you know, if Pennsylvania and Nevada are, are Republican, then I don't necessarily know how the already decided Senate control point is going to factor in. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, coalitionally speaking, there's a wealth of evidence that, you know, the group that suffers the biggest turnout drop from a regular to a runoff election in Georgia is rural white voters. And, um, you know, that was set up in the 1990s and that benefited Republicans at the time because college educated white people maintained, you know, the strongest percentage of the electorate that they wore, you know, they punched above their weight. And at the time that was a very Republican leaning demographic, but, you know, because of the way the coalitions have changed, the result has changed, and that's arguably one of the big reasons why Ossoff and Warnock are now senators. Um, so I think that in terms of just the fundamentals, uh, my base expectation for Warnock is slightly better in a runoff than it is in a regular election. But yeah. again, you know, 
persuasion and how a campaign is actually run has a huge impact as well. So, so, so just for people who don't know what a runoff is, basically, if if they don't get fifty percent of the vote in Georgia, um, then there's uh, another election that basically happens in like December, January. Um, uh, between the two candidates, the you know the two candidates that got the the highest percentage of of vote total, right? That's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, all right. So that that's a really bleak picture uh, for for me in particular. Um, uh, but let's 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 move over here where things are better. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, I know there was a there was actually a debate with um, with Congressman Keating and, and Jesse Brown. Congressman Keating's a, a good friend of the show and of the station here. Um, I like Bill a lot. Uh, I think he's been a very good uh, representative for us. For us, I know you live in the ninth yourself. Um, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I you know. I know this isn't this is the most competitive, right? I guess, but it's not really competitive at all. Obviously, King is going to win that race and win easily against Jesse Brown, who's a nice guy. It just isn't going to the nice guy Jesse Brown, but just isn't going to be a congressman. Um, let's Keating told me on air a few months ago that he's not going to be here for the next 10 years and he's not going to be here for the next majority of uh, 10 years. So that's a couple terms. Let's say uh, let's say in two terms, he decides he's gone. The, the the now the seats open. Let's say Karen Polito, who just moved to Dartmouth, runs for that seat. And Dartmouth in nine, or is it in four? Dartmouth in nine. Dartmouth in nine. Okay. Yeah. So Karen Polito changed her address to Dartmouth. Um, let's say she runs, and uh, let's say uh, like a Julian Sear, you know, maybe runs or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Is it competitive then when the seat becomes open? I mean, I guess. It, I mean, I guess theoretically it can be competitive, right? I mean, if you look at, I mean, you guys cover Rhode Island, you know. Yeah. So if you look at Alan Fung's race in Rhode Island, that seat is bluer than the state of Colorado, and yet because Alan Fung is a really, really good candidate, that seat has a chance of going Republican. Yeah. <clears throat> um, do I think Karen Polito is that good? Uh, I mean, there's nothing to suggest that she is right now, but you know, never say never. I guess. Um, I mean, she's the lieutenant governor in the most popular uh, gubernatorial administration in the country. Right? Yeah, that's true. But the average person knows who Charlie Baker is. Less people know who Karen Polito is. Fair enough. Um, so the way I look, I'm, so let me just look at Massachusetts 9 right here, right? We have a bunch of what's called the Irish Riviera. We have the South Coast and we have the Cape and Islands. So in a, in a Julian Sear versus... Uh, Karen Polito race. I mean, I think the fact that Julian Sears from the Cape is definitely going to help help him out with you know some of these more culturally conservative towns in the Upper Cape. You know, like I live in Sandwich. You know, there's it's it's uh, Biden plus nine, but on the on a down ballot level, it's Republicans very much exist here. Yeah. Um. Well, your 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 state reps are Republican. Uh, yeah. yeah. Both. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah. just I'm just throwing those names out there because those are the two those are the two highest profile elected officials in the district right now. So I'm just saying generic. Let's say even I mean Karen Polito. I think in terms of Republicans that live here could be strong. Maybe Tim Cruz. Tim Cruz. I don't think is going anywhere. But let's say Tim Cruz, uh, somebody like that, a, a high profile Republican um, versus a high profile Democrat in the district. I said you know Sear and uh, Polito, but it could I mean, be anybody. I think, I mean, Karen, I feel like down here, at least on the Cape, 
um, there's definitely a certain sense of parochialism that, you know, doesn't lend itself well to people just moving from elsewhere in the state to running. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's a good point. Especially, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. because, like, I mean, I used to live in the Boston suburbs, and, you know, everybody moves there all the time. So if yeah. you move there, it's not a big deal. But, right. you know, New Bedford, Cushnet, all these guys, you know, they've been, you know, Azorian whalers, and they've been there for, like, eight generations. And, you know... Uh, Johnny Kim lately comes here and they all say, who the heck are you? Um, yeah. I, and, uh, it's worth noting Keating did move there, um, but he was already a sitting congressman at the time, so that might that probably helped him. Uh, Keating did move well, to Bourne, and he was very open about it. Like, yeah, I'm carpet bagging, well, but you, I don't care. Keating was from further north, right? When he was when it was Bill Delahunt's tenth district, yeah. right? Yeah, so that that counts a little bit less against him because he was already an incumbent who was moving to represent the district that he was in or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and also moving from you know I don't know what town was he from. He, I think it's from Norwood or, or Sharon. Sharon, maybe. Oh, okay. Never mind. That's 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 pretty egregious. But I thought he was from like from like situated something. Um, <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> but he already represented I, I, the area in, in Congress. I, I think yeah, is the point. Yeah. I, so that makes. I, more I sense. think that it depends on the environment, right? Because Clinton law, uh, won the ninth by about ten points. Uh, yeah. Warren won it by like five. Um, yeah. So. You know, there's definitely, like I, I mentioned, that, you know, culturally conservative, not even culturally moderate, but, you know, in Plymouth and in Bristol County, there's a lot of culturally conservative, uh, you know, wider, lower educated uh, people um, who might not be on board with, you know, a Warren-type Democrat. And, you know, Bill Keating has a lot of goodwill, so he's able to avoid a lot of the same slippage that's happened to other Democrats in the area. Right. Um, so, you know, I think I'd say Democrats would probably be favored to keep the ninth, but if there was a seat in Massachusetts that somehow became Republican, yeah, it would easily be the ninth. Um, but honestly, the best play would probably be to get, you know, an Alan Fung type Republican from the Cape yeah. uh, and then just hope for the best in, you know, in the South Shore and on the South Coast, you know, assuming that the environment is bad. Um yeah, I mean, believe me, I've thought a lot about Mao Nine going red before. Yeah, it kept me up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's you know it it's something that like that that that's you know Keating saying that to me a few months ago. I thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, if it's not the majority of the next ten years, he's got two more terms. You know, maybe three. Maybe he's going to do three more terms. But that 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 open seat is coming. So I'm really you know I'm excited. I'm sort of excited about the potential covering of that four to six years down the road. But that's what I look forward to now. Um, but all right, Armin, I appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, I got to ask you about this race. We it's all we've talked about. I've been getting an onslaught of direct mails to my house on it. Um, the Bristol County Sheriff's race. Do you have any sort of opinions on it, on which way you think it's going to go? I mean, I, there's a lot of money coming in Paul Harrow's direction. The top of the ticket's bad for Republicans, but Hodgson's definitely a, a survivor. So what do you think? So, you know, I, I, I've thought about this a lot. And, you know, I don't, you know, Adam Bass, he's told me a little bit about this, too. Um, I think, especially with an office that far down the ballot, like Sheriff, a lot of voters you know, don't necessarily have the same ideological or partisan ways of looking at things. Yeah. Um, case in point, me. I live in Barnstable County. You know, I'm probably going to vote for most Democrats in the ticket, but I'm going to vote Republican for sheriff because the incumbent's Republican and he's, you know, done a good job and, okay. you know, status quo and whatnot. 
Sure. Um, so, you know, that, that factor is difficult to factor in. Um, but then another factor is, right, you know, piggybacking off of the incumbency is that Massachusetts Dems can actually do very well when they try to beat Republican incumbents. Yeah. You know, uh, Charlie Baker in 2018, he won by 33 points because no one really bothered to actually run against him. Yeah. You know, he probably would have still won in 2018, but he would have won by 10 or 15 points if, you know, say Joe Kennedy decided to run for governor. Um, now Hodgson, his first race was when in 2010? Uh, no, he, he's been there since 97. Uh, his, so he's won in 98, 2004, 2010. He ran on opposed. He ran on opposed in 2016. 2010 was his last contested race. It was against state rep John Quinn, whose brother's the DA now Tom Quinn. Um, and, oh, yeah. and he, yeah. he won, it was a, he won by like a seven point margin, but there was a 10 point, uh, 10 points in that race taken by a third party. Um, so the last race he ran was, uh, the last election he ran though was 2016. He was, he, he was, um, he, he was unopposed. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that basically all of the statewide Democrats should be carrying Bristol. I mean, as long as they're not dramatically underperforming. Yeah. Um, so that'll. I mean, I think Hodgson is favored, but it's going to be very narrow because the Democrats are actually trying this time to beat him. Yes. And you know, Maura Healy is you know hard. going there and you know making a big deal about actually trying to elect Paul Hero. That said, the one thing in favor of Hodgson is that you know if there is any one area of the state of Massachusetts that has the potential to actually be a problem child for Democrats long term, it is Fall River and New Bedford. Yeah. Um, and demographically speaking, you know, the educational attainment rates you see there are more commonly found in, you know, eastern Ohio and whatnot than really anywhere in much of New England. Um, and a lot of these guys are still voting for Democrats. Um, so, you know, Hodgson definitely could do better than he has historically in Fall River and in Cushnet and in New Bedford uh, and in a lot of those working class Portuguese heavy areas. Um, that said, you know, Hero is going to depend on the north of the county, which historically, ironically, was the more Republican part. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. I mean, I just because of incumbency, and I think that there's going to be a lot of drop off in terms of people who vote for Healy on the top of the ticket, but then don't really fill out much of the rest of the ballot below. You know, I'd say probably Hodgson has an edge. You know, he's going to win by like four, five, six points. But, you know, a hero, a hero win would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I've played out a few different scenarios in my head. I, I guess we're going to have to see. I'll be here for five hours on election night uh, doing coverage, and I'm hoping I can. I, I think I'll, I think we'll get the first scoop here on who's declaring victory. Um, but I think it'll probably be you know like towards the end of the uh, to- definitely towards the end of the show. Hey, um, Armin, thank you so much for coming on again. That's split ticket. Uh, is it splitticket.com? Split-ticket.org, O-R-G. Split-ticket.org. They do a great job elections mapping there, uh, great job forecasting. I appreciate you coming on, Armin, and looking forward to talking with you again in the future. All right, yeah, thank you, Marcus. Absolutely. That was Armin Thomas at Split Ticket. Uh, again, just some, uh, I think, really good election forecasting. I always uh, go to Armin on social media to a- ask him about questions uh, about what's happening in, in certain uh, in certain races uh, here and across the country. And um, he always has a wealth of knowledge on that. So, all right, I got to take this break. I will be right back.
South Coast tonight on Marcus 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. That was Armin Thomas over at Split Ticket, split-ticket.org. Uh, do some great election forecasting. It was fun to talk about uh, the sort of the national stuff and speculate on some of the local stuff here. Um, for the 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Uh, we've had some very robust uh, interviews uh, tonight, very... Um, loquacious interviews uh tonight and uh i guess you know you haven't had a chance to, to really call in so uh if you'd like to you can uh we're gonna have uh her mayor hero at, on at um nine o'clock again there was a whole lot of um uh let's call it hullabaloo right uh that's happened the last the few days of the bristol county sheriff's race took a turn i definitely wasn't expecting uh I wasn't expecting we'd be talking about anti-Semitism uh, in the last few days of the sheriff's election, but here we are talking about it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, hmm. So, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so 508-996-0500 we'll be talking to him at nine um i guess a bleak picture i was i've been saying like all summer it looks like the democrats are going to pick up one in the senate right uh but the way he's he's telling us he thinks that it's going to go in a different way and that there's going to be republican control of both chambers you know historically that makes sense you know you look at uh trump in 2018 uh, they kept the Senate because they had some electorally favorable seats and um, they had some electorally favorable seats up for election like North Dakota. Heidi Heitkamp was up for re-election. She lost in North Dakota. And then India, they had Joe Donnelly. And they had um, in Missouri, they had Claire McCaskill. They were all elected in 2012, uh, basically rode the Obama wave. Um, that and I think Joe Donnelly and Claire McCaskill had uniquely awful uh, candidates they were running against. So they kept the Senate that year, but they lost the House by like, I think the historic margin might have been more. It might have been the might have been the worst loss in American history in uh, in 2018 uh, for the House. Obama famously got shellacked in 2010, uh, lost 60 seats in in Congress uh, in 2010. uh because of the, uh, that was the Tea Party movement, right? The Tea Party wave of 2010. And in 2014, you had, uh, the, that's when McConnell took control of the Senate. That's when McConnell became Senate Majority Leader uh, in 2014. In, in 2006, Bush, uh, Bush lost both chambers. Um, I think by, again, that was a big wave election that Obama actually rode to a supermajority in 2008 when he won. Um, I think 2002, they they actually, I think he actually kept majorities in both houses because um, that was after 9-11. Bill Clinton in 94, that was the Newt Gingrich contract with America. And um, I don't think Reagan ever had control of the House in his entire time as uh, president. I think it was always Tip O'Neill that was there. Maybe Tom Foley, too. So, um, and I, Bush lost the midterms in, in 90. So, uh, it is, it is very common for the party out of power to lose both seats in Cong, uh, to lose both one or both chambers in Congress. But, um, it's looking that way now, apparently. 508 996 0500. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back.
New Bedford's News Talk Station. This night, I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. Uh, I think I might have said this earlier, um, but we do have a major announcement to make tomorrow. Major announcement tomorrow on South Coast tonight. You will have to stay tuned for it, but it is big. And... Yeah, it's a big announcement. So, um, you're going to want to listen. I can't make it now. I wish I could. But it's been embargoed. It means I can't say anything other than it's major news locally that you'll want to hear. But you can hear tomorrow on our great Friday night shows. Friday night shows are a lot of fun. You'll get to hear that tomorrow, what our major announcement is. It's all been set up. Got an app notification. Got everything written out. It's a big story. And you will hear it here on South Coast Tonight. I'll tell you now. No, I can't. Just kidding. It's a big story. Big local story. Local. So... It's got nothing to do with the sheriff's race either. So don't, if you're thinking it's got something to do with the sheriff's race, it doesn't. 508 996 0500. Here's what's happening this week on 